So, Doug, I hear sources are telling me that you've uh, you've been offered a four-year, $37 uh, contract to go sit in a cube on the other side of the office from us in .com, but you're waiting on uh, waiting on LeBron to make his decision? Yeah, I just want to see what kind of pieces they're going to put around me. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of The Yes Men. I am Lou DiPietro. To my left, as always, is Doug Williams. And uh, Doug will be staying in the cubicle, too, in front of me. Uh, we are proud to report sources uh, indicating Doug will, will re-sign with this side of the office. Yeah, Lou, Lou dumped his rings on the table, and I was just convinced from then on. I'm coming towards the end of my uh, rookie-scale contract in that cube, too. So, you know, it's, maybe I'll stick around once, uh, once my contract comes up. We'll see what happens. It's going to be very interesting. Uh, LeBronomania still running wild. That is the, the main topic. Um, NBA free agency is officially set to kick off on Thursday. I believe the moratorium ends. Um, Chris Bosh has been offered apparently a four year max deal by the Rockets to come play alongside Dwight Howard and James Harden, which would be a pretty impressive big three, but it looks like LeBron's decision is, uh, kind of holding everything up as, as we've expected. Yeah. Um, I, we record on a uh, kind of like a computer screen. You can see like our audio, and I just put up TweetDeck instead of looking at that because legitimately you never know what sources are going to tell Chris Broussard or you know anybody else in the next twenty minutes about NBA free agency. So it's important that we keep. Tabs I have on it. heard that LeBron James is going to play basketball. That's probably what Chris Broussard's going to say. Uh, well, anyway, he. LeBron is – it's also interesting because Carmelo apparently is waiting for LeBron. I think Carmelo has probably already made his decision. Um, I would say Carmelo will return to New York. But the LeBron story, it's the it's such a love-hate relationship because I just think the NBA offseason is more show and more dramatic than business. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I am so sick of it, and I and I love it, and I can't get enough of it. And I think a lot of people share that in common with me um, in terms of just – I am so curious to see where he plays. And, and I think the idea of him toying with Cleveland again for the second time, doubling the hatred that he's going to get, doubling the burned jerseys if there are still any out there, just to go back to Miami, I just don't see how he would go and make it – go this far and then come back to Miami. Well, see, I think part of what plays into it is this 10-day moratorium period where it's like the league year opens, but you can't sign guys. So it's like, oh, this guy's going here and we're going to do this and this trade's going to be finalized. And it's a big hubbub about things that once they actually happen, I mean, even last year when the Nets traded for Garnett and Pierce, we had heard about it at the draft. And then once the league year opened, it kind of became like we can put the framework in place. Once it happened 10 days later, yeah, it was a big deal because it was happening, but it was kind of like, oh, yeah, the trade went through. Great. Like it, like, it wasn't this blockbuster anymore after two and a half weeks of speculation. With LeBron, I, I have to go back. I was listening to the radio on the way into work the other day. Uh, Ken Singleton was on uh, WFAN with Mark Melusis and Sid Rosenberg in the midday. And before that, they were talking about LeBron and the whole situation and the Cleveland thing. And, and as they said – he never really came out and said, well, I'm not going to go to Cleveland. And if he did that, it would be bad for business. So all this uproar about, you know, LeBron's toying with Cleveland, this, that, the other thing, I don't really, I I fall in line with them. I don't really think it's that big of a deal because with this moratorium and with everything going on, it's bad for business to be like, yeah, I'm not going back there. Yeah. And 
he's also, you know, he couldn't say in the decision with Jim Gray four years ago that just abomination of a television special. LeBron couldn't have said, I'm going to South Beach, but, uh, you know, my contract's not forever. He would never say that when you yeah, sign with a team. It's exactly. just not good business, like you said. And I just I'm trying I try to put myself in LeBron's shoes and I think about uh South Beach versus Cleveland or in you know his case Akron where he lives. It's like ice cream and, versus liver and onions. Well, I, I mean in terms that's of That's not city. what I mean necessarily, Lou. I'm saying Miami's the kind of place where you want to go when you're young and and single and and it's the kind of place you go for a little while and then I think eventually you go somewhere else, somewhere where you can build a family and live and LeBron looked no further than his home. He still lives in Akron. He has a family. He has a wife and kids. And, you know, you kind of think that maybe what he's looking at Cleveland as, he's got Kyrie Irving, who, who in two years may be the best point guard in the NBA. He's got an yeah. incredible skyrocket-type potential. Yep. You have Deion Waiters, decent young player. And then, of course, you have Andrew Wiggins on this roster. And LeBron may be thinking, look, I know I'm not old yet. I'm still the best player in the NBA, but to be the best player in the NBA and to have good young pieces around me to mold and yeah. live at home with my kids and my wife and, and live where I'm comfortable, that sounds mighty he, mighty nice to me. He's still got the entirety of his 30s to go. I mean, exactly. we're, we're talking about LeBron is not 35, 33. I mean, him and Carmelo. Carmelo had one year of college behind him when he came out in that same draft. LeBron was out of high school. Those guys are 30. I mean, yeah. it's it, they have a long way to go. And, yeah, I mean, you know, Cleveland – Kyrie Irving has 96 million reasons to love Cleveland these days. Uh, that would be a formidable one-two punch for the next four or five years. I mean, they would have to do at least a, you know, standard contract says you can't opt out after four. So it would be at least be a four-year partnership. And the Cavs, I mean, as we, we've seen this morning, you know, ESPN has reported that the the deal for the, the – Jarrett Jack for Marcus Thornton deal that's been kind of in the works for a long time seems to be finally happening thanks to a little uh, addition of the Boston Celtics. If the deal goes through as is sort of in the framework in place as, as it's as is being reported now, Kyrie Irving and Wiggins are the only salary guaranteed on the books that the Cavs have after this year. Yeah. That's huge for build. LeBron because if they can move a few parts around some expiring contracts – they can get LeBron, maybe even Kevin Love. I mean, you add them to Wiggins and even Anthony Bennett and Tristan Thompson and Waiters if they keep him around. That's a formidable young team. And I'll give ESPN credit for this the other day, too. They said it on SportsCenter. The last time a team had four former number one picks on the same squad, they won the NBA championship. I think both great points uh, that you just made. And another thing, Lou, if you think about it, I'm going into his head again. You know, having a big three, I think, was great for him. You know, he won two championships, went to four, and I think it was good for him. But at the end of the day, it ended up kind of seeming like a disappointment that they didn't win all four because of the amount of talent that those three had going right. into the contract. He may be thinking, I'm basically getting a big three in Cleveland, but it won't be titled that. People won't say, oh, he's taking, you know, he's taking the easy way out again. LeBron will know in his head. He's like, I got Wiggins and Kyrie right. to build around. That's basically a big three. But people will say in the media that he went to Cleveland to kind of build his own dynasty. Right. In terms of his legacy and in terms of the way that he's viewed by the public, there is no question that that's the right move. I mean, I know so many people that hate him that would be happy to see him go back. And think about the the tremendous things that he would be doing for that city combined with Johnny Manziel, the amount of publicity. I mean, Cleveland, you can say all you want about it. 
and how you know, terrible the weather is and how it's kind of like Detroit and that it's on the downswing. It's not a, a popular city to move to. But, you know, there's room to build. Every city has, you know, potential, and he could do so much for them. Cleveland did just get the Republican National Convention they yesterday did. for 2016. or So, you know, that's that's something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's a big, that's a big economic yeah, boost a for beautiful, them. They have a beautiful ballpark and a pretty decent baseball team with one of the best young players in baseball coming up in Michael Brantley. Yeah. There's a lot going on, on in that city right now, especially with Johnny Manziel and – even though their coaches are going to keep saying that he won't play, won't see the light eventually of day. Eventually he'll – yeah, eventually he will. The, the reason – I mean the biggest reason they won't call that a big three is just because you can't. I mean Kyrie Irving, as great as he is, is only a few years into his, into his career, and Andrew Wiggins has never played an NBA game. So yes, theoretically in terms of star power name, it's sort of a big three, but it's not you know, Garnett, Pearson, Ray Allen, three guys who had been in the right. league for 10, 12 years. It's not – Bosch Wade and, and LeBron, three guys who had been in the league for eight or nine years and were you know multiple time all stars and draft classmates. It's not even Parker Duncan and Ginobili who've been together since I mean we were you know young. <laughs> it but seems. How many, how many like old NBA players? Like I, I'm trying to think of. I think Charles Barkley is the number one guy who has said this. Have criticized LeBron for the last four years because I'm not going to give him credit. I'm not going to say he's, he's as good as Michael Jordan. Because he he took the easy way out and played with two superstars, mm-hmm. he really would totally silence that by going to Cleveland. I right. I believe. I mean, yes, he's going to go play with a really good point guard, but like you said, he's like Kyrie Irving's what twenty three years old, twenty two, twenty two, twenty three. I mean, it's unbelievable how young he's. Does still everybody is. hate Shaq for winning umpteen rings, but he had to go to the Lakers and play with Kobe, and then went to the Heat and played with Dwayne Wade? Right. Does everybody hate on Shaq? No, no. he. You, you you found a good opportunity for yourself, and when Shaq chose the Heat, people said – I remember it like it was yesterday. People were saying Dwayne Wade and Shaquille O'Neal championship, and I said, well, what about the people around him? He said, it doesn't matter. That's right. – I think a lot of people would say – Yeah, and it didn't matter. They were together so dominant, mm-hmm. and Kyrie does remind me a little bit of an up-and-coming Dwayne Wade. I mean, he's bit. got – you know that kind of scoring skill and loves handling the ball. Let's hope when he turns thirty, he doesn't you know completely go in the tank like Dwayne Wade did, and but refuse to play fifty games. Yeah, you know, but I mean, the the one season Dwayne Wade sort of tanked it too helped the Heat. I mean, he got hurt and kind of they dogged it and they ended up getting a top pick and you know it it festered into into where they are now. But you know. If LeBron goes back to Cleveland after four years, you know, he can always say, I went down to Miami, I played with my boys, I won two titles, I went to four finals, I learned what it takes, now I'm going to bring it back here and bring it home. And if Cleveland wins an NBA championship with LeBron James in a Cavaliers uniform, all will be forgotten. We do know this, but it has to happen. Right. You know, it's a matter of whether it happens. A lot of people seem to think LeBron's just going to stay in Miami and they're going to continue and do that and, you know... The Bosch thing is like, well, of course a team's going to offer Bosch a max deal, even though he was clearly, even when Wade was the lesser option, Bosch was clearly the third wheel in that big three for four years. It was right. like, well, we need a big guy, and he's our boy, so we'll bring him in. Right. Um, but the point that you made earlier that's so smart is that you say that if he wins a championship in Cleveland, he'll that'll be his legacy. He'll be adored there forever. And that's true. And it might be even more possible the second year he's there because – they already have a ton of talent. If they sign LeBron, they have the most talent, maybe mm-hmm. in the Eastern Conference. And they have, and no they have nobody sal- on the books. They have no salary on the books. They, they can sign Kevin Love. Limitless Long. potential if they sign LeBron. Or, or, God help the world, Kevin Durant. 
Can you imagine LeBron? I mean, I know they say they play the same position, like in theory and almost in in perfect perpetuity. But how ridiculous would that be with well, Irving, LeBron, and Durant? I don't think they would be too terrible together. A lot of people have said that LeBron and Carmelo could play together because Carmelo is purely a scorer and LeBron is a scorer, but he's also a facilitator. And he can play the four defensively. Right. Uh, he can play a stretch play four. any position. Paul Pierce did it this year. So, you know, LeBron right. can. He can play a stretch four. I don't know. It's so interesting. Let me just uh, check check Twitter for some sources. Anybody, anybody um, got anything? No? No, it doesn't look like it. We're, I mean, I will edit this. As we have breaking possible, news but. that Taves and Kane have signed eight-year extensions with the Chicago Blackhawks, that's so that good, will continue that's a good, that. That's a good uh, long-term That'll continue that dynasty investment. for quite a while. They've, yeah. they've done well for themselves, those two, in Chicago. Um, we were talking about the Nets, the Nets Cavaliers, now Celtics trade that may go through with uh, Boston getting Tyler Zeller and Marcus Thornton, mm-hmm. uh, as well as a protected 2016 first-round pick from Cleveland. The Nets would get Jack and Sergey Karasev, who they were high on last year in the draft, and they ended up taking Plumlee three spots after the Cavs took Karasev. Uh, Cleveland would get something, draft rights to one of these guys or something, because the way the free agency is in both them and Boston are under the cap, well under the cap in terms of contracts. They can just make willy-nilly trades and trade a lot of salary as long as they get something back for it. That's, I mean... This is it. If that, that's Cleveland going for it, right? Th- this is it. They're going for it. I mean, the Jack, the Jack thing. They wanted to trade Jack to Brooklyn last year. They ended up trading. You know, Brooklyn ended up trading Terry and Reggie Evans to Sacramento for Thornton. Thornton is an expiring deal. Jack is not. They. This is them going for it. This is it. Like now, here we go. Right. This and, is and the move. To be honest, the deal makes a lot of sense. For all three teams, which is, I'm sure, why they did it. <laughs> right. But the the Nets kind of get their Sean Livingston replacement. Although I will say, I mean, Sean Livingston is, a, I think, a little bit better of a player all around. I think I love Jared Jack's game. Yep. He's so clutch. And offensively, he's really terrific, which will help them. And then Boston can actually really use Tyler Zeller. I mean, they needed a big guy. So yep. it helps everybody. And this is Cleveland saying, <laughs> LeBron... If you, it's like a guilt trip. It's like yep. if you don't come in, we're tra- we're moving heaven and earth for you. And this is you know a move for Boston. Like I said, Thornton is an expiring contract every this year, so somewhere in February they can turn around if a team needs a shooter or something. He's playing well. Here you go. What do you got that we can take back in peanuts right. for spare parts if they're not doing well and and it no harm no foul. All right, we'll take a second round pick and move forward or something. Yeah, we're well under the cap, so you're well under the cap here. Here's an eight million dollar player. Get, go for it. Um. You know, the Nets save about a million dollars and get another player, which is also good. If they're still hoping to re-sign Paul Pierce, they have Bogdanovich apparently coming over from Europe for the mid-level. There's your team. I mean, right. it's it, it's done. Your team is done. And I think it was Mike Mazio that made this point. If I'm wrong, uh, if I'm wrong, I apologize. But somebody said on Twitter that everyone says the Nets are old and have no future because of guys like Pierce and Garnett. But they've actually put together a decent amount of good young players. Right. I mean, they've done their part. So I, I don't know. I, I, I think the Nets right now today are exactly the same, if not a little better, with this trade and Lionel Hollins as head coach. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean, saying. you look at Darren Williams. He's only like right there around 30 as well. He's been in the league for a decade or so now, but he's only right there around 30. Joe Johnson is still, quote unquote, young. You know, he's in his early 30s. Brooke Lopez has only been in the league for seven years now, so he's young, mm-hmm. uh, even though he's been been around for a while. Bogdanovich is young if he comes over. Jack isn't terribly old, 
So yeah, I mean Garnett's in his late thirties. Plumley, I mean Plumley was a rookie last year. So Garnett's in his late thirties. Yeah, Pierce, you know, if he came back, he's in his late thirties. But it's not like these are nine, nine or ten fossils looking for one last right. ride. It's it's a lot of guys who are young veterans, so to speak, with a couple of elder statesmen in Garnett and maybe Pierce, mm-hmm. and a couple of guys like Plumley and. Um, you know any of the second round picks that stick this year that are that are younger guys and Plumley turned out to be a great draft pick. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I mean he, he was huge in, in the first year of uh, you know of his career and and really helped that team. And theoretically, with Brook Lopez healthy, made Andre Blatch expendable to the point where they could just let him go. Exactly, and I think that's something out. they wanted to do anyway. So. Yeah, and I think that's why he opted out, knowing he would have been right. you know well down the depth chart. Well, with with basketball having taken up the first fifteen minutes or so of our uh, of our time here, let, let's transition to to baseball, which we we honestly haven't talked a lot about lately. Um, which is kind of uh, I don't want to say a first for us, but it's kind of uncharacteristic of us, especially in July. Yeah. Now, uh, the the All Star teams were announced on Sunday. Uh, Dell and Batances, bit of a surprise maybe for some people, but definitely well deserved All Star honors. Tanaka, you knew was going, and Derek Jeter voted in. Because if you expected the fans to vote in anyone other than Derek Jeter, then you might want to reassess your life because you're kind of not paying attention. Right. Um, and it's not like he's hitting 220. No. I mean, he's, hitting, he's not Derek Jeter in terms of his numbers, right. but he's still Derek Jeter in terms of he's Derek Jeter. Right. He's healthy yeah. and he's in the AL and plays shortstop. Who is going to just crush him in voting? Right. Nobody. I mean, there's guys that are having better seasons. His backup, Alexi Ramirez, is one of them. But, you know, it's Jeter. This is... It's not like he's completely undeserving, like, I hate to say it, but if Brian McCann had been voted in, doesn't really deserve to be an all-star. And he would be the first one to tell you and that. And he'd be the first one to tell you that, exactly. But Jeter, okay, Lifetime Achievement Award, whatever, It's he's still having a decent season. Uh, I know snubs are really kind of pointless to even go through, especially three days later, because guys get hurt, guys pull out, guys can't pitch. So the all-star game is becoming second to the Pro Bowl in terms of, you know, there's 12 pitchers on the staff, and this is the 19th guy selected, but blah, blah, blah. A little surprised David Robertson didn't get a nod. I know his, his ERA is a little high, and I know he's had a couple of missteps, but he's like second or third in the league in saves. Yeah. And Fernando Rodney didn't even get a nod, and he leads the American League in saves and was not taken. You know, it seems to be clear that they're paying attention to ERA. And peripherals. And and David Robertson only had one really bad outing yeah. that kind of bloated his ERA. And there's only – I mean there's only a handful of, of late-inning relievers, closers, and setup guys on the team as it is. So it's a little odd that you know some of the, some of the picks were made. Sean Doolittle made it. I know Oakland's the best team in the league, but he's kind of been a middle reliever, turned into closer. You know, they bounced their bullpen around. Mm-hmm. Still a little weird to me. Maybe a guy like him gets in where Fernando Rodney, who leads the league in saves, I know it's one stat, but it's the big one for a closer. Right. It's, it's these closing <laughs> uh, stats. You know, it's little, doing your job. Yeah, little shocked. I mean, Batances might have taken Robertson's spot, but the season he's having, you know, again, he's very deserving of an all-star. Little little surprised neither of those two guys made it. You know what's I th- what I think is that um, – they look at Batances as a guy that they love showcasing because that's kind of what baseball wants right now is yeah. young stars, guys yep. guys that are up-and-comers in the league. And Batances might come in and just throw 100 miles an hour and devastate all three hitters he faces. That's right. And, you know, I don't know how and much. And knows how to pitch in the seventh inning. I right. Mean, which and is it, Has weird, David but... Robertson made the all-star team before? 
Did he? Uh, yeah, he guy? was. He was uh, once, I believe, 2011, 10 or eleven. I don't. I don't right. know so off the top of my head, I but he's been there. Robertson is has been in the exact situation that Patinsis yeah. is in right now. Kind of yep. that surprise All Star pick, set up guy with an extremely low ERA with high strikeouts, and it's it's an exciting thing yep. to see because otherwise you're just going to see closers from the fifth inning on. Right, and it's, you know it's a good story too in that this is a guy who last year he moved to the bullpen after his career looked like it was going south in a hurry. You know, he was out of options or may have had the fourth year option, you know, but he was basically, this is it, sink or swim, you're going in the bullpen, and if you stink, you stink, and that's it. And he's turned it into an all-star story. So, uh, again, even just beyond the young star showcase, it's a great story of almost, I don't want to say rags to riches, but, I mean, he was this close to being a forgotten part of, well, just another one of the killer bees. Yeah. And now he's an all-star setup man, which is, you know, something. Yeah, and the Yankees... You know, it's interesting. They have been playing this sort of 500 ball, and they put games together that they really look terrific, and you think that that's going to continue, and it doesn't. Uh, They're in an interesting place right now with their lineup. Since we've last had a yes-man, they designated Alfonso Soriano for assignment. They traded Vidal Nuno to Arizona for Brandon McCarthy. Uh, Who and, starts tonight? And as we tape, Wednesday and what's night. funny? Yeah, that's true. And what's funny is that before last night, um, which Tuesday night they lost five uh, three or five three was the final. Okay, yeah. five three. Before that, they had really been scalding the ball offensively, yeah. really doing well. And I almost tweeted this, but um, it's no coincidence when a guy with the pedigree of Alfonso Soriano gets DFA'd, and other guys start to pick it up. That's not a coincidence. It's it's nope. Not only is it releasing Alfonso Soriano because he's taking up a spot and you need his role for a long reliever, but it's also guys with, I know we're paying you a lot of money, but if you're a veteran and you're not doing what we need you to do, watch your back. It it makes the statement from Brian Cashman that we're not afraid to make a radical move if it's something we feel we need to do. I mean, yes, Soriano wasn't playing regularly, and part of it may have just been for him in that they knew he wasn't going to get the regular at-bats the way he was hitting, so it was either keep him around for a show or just get rid of him, and they needed the spot for a long reliever, like you said. Um, You know, They're obviously not going to do that to Beltran or McCann or one of these guys who's under a long-term deal, but... You know, now that Beltran's dealing with some knee issues, his elbow's been balky, he, he's not going to play the field, it doesn't seem like, this year. Soriano's role was basically just be there. Play once in a while against lefties. He's not good defensively uh, at this stage in his career. He never really was, like, a, you know, an elite defender, but at this stage in the career, he's not great defensively. He's not playing regularly enough for his timing to be down. It just It was a situation where it was like, you know what? It's just best for both of us if you go away. And you think that 162 games sounds so long, but when Brian Cashman was interviewed with uh, Don LaGreca the other day, he was saying, we looked at the All-Star break, 10 games before the All-Star break. There was one lefty. And we knew that it, yeah. we, we weren't going to get Soriano going before the break, and that's 10 games yeah, of, you can't of wait. status quo. And you can't wait to make a decision like that. As much as I've loved Soriano for his entire career, I think it was the right move. I hope he, I think he can land on another team and and yeah. do good for them if if they have room on their bench. If you need a guy to DH and hit against lefties, he's going to be okay for you. I mean, you look at once he clears waivers and is officially released because nobody's going to claim him, even though the Yankees are only paying him five million dollars. Nobody's going to want to take the the hit for that. I mean, I could see him in Tampa Bay. 
Will Myers is hurt. DeJesus is hurt. They've got a lot of lefties in that lineup. Like, you know what? He could be a guy that they bring him in and say, we're going to let you be our DH for a while. Especially when they play in a division like the Yankees. with They don't have to deal with David Price because he's on their team at the moment. But you still have to deal with John Lester and the guys on Baltimore. Right. And, you know, you Mark Burley. I mean, be you, very, you have that, that chance, maybe. It would be a very Tampa Bay move because yeah. they're probably going to trade David Price. But guess what? They're still going to going to stick around like yeah. even when they traded james shields they were like oh yeah can we have the most major league ready prospect and you matt have? garza and right et cetera, et cetera. They get guys back and they're like yeah our rotation's still pretty good because we're the tampa bay rays and every single one of us has a nasty change up well, it started when they stole scott casimir from the mets and has continued on for the last right. decade since so yep. and and that's what they do and that david price is an interesting talk uh topic for us to talk about lou because they it was released um that you know in on twitter somewhere that the rays actually would consider trading him within the AL East right and the yankees as as we will document well next week on yesnetwork.com we're going to be doing kind of a a trade deadline monday through thursday a piece a day on the different holes the yankees may be wanting to fill right the yankees need a pitcher or two in addition to brandon mccarthy because the McCarthy trade was one for one. It's yeah, not like we swapped plus out Nuno, one. right? Yeah, we swapped out one of our starters to get one back. Do the Yankees have a chance at David Price? Do you think? You know what? I, a couple weeks ago, when we were at the stadium, we I did the story about the MVP Foundation that I I always talk about honoring David Robertson that day, and they had brought in a, a, a teenager from Taiwan who was at the game, and I talked to him, and, and him and I email back and forth now. And he, he constantly asked me if I think the Yankees have enough to get David Price. And I just actually answered an email of his this morning. And my answer is this. Do they have enough? Yes. Will it happen? If Brian Cashman's willing to trade away the farm. Tampa Bay's not going not gonna to give anybody a discount for David Price. And like you said last year when they traded James Shields, it's like give me a couple of really good pitching prospects and the most major league ready player you have. And that's what I mean. Odorizzi's in the rotation out of necessity at this point, but he's in the rotation. He was in that deal. Will Myers is their right fielder and has been since day one. He's he's in the lineup when he's healthy. I mean, this is going to be like you're looking at. I'm just going to throw out some names because of top prospects. You're looking at this is kind of going to be maybe a package of all right. We want Peter O'Brien and maybe Sanchez or J.R. Murphy, John Ryan, excuse me. Or, you know, one of those catchers and maybe a guy like Severino or somebody who's te- – DePaula, somebody who's tearing up the low minors as a pitcher and a plug-in. And a plug-in, Ref Snyder or Perella even, like somebody who we can take now and plug in somewhere. Right. That's a lot to give up for a, for a guy who's going to be here for a year and a half. And, I mean, David Price has said he thinks the Yankees with their facial hair rules are stupid. I mean, that's right there is one of those things like, is this guy going to sign? I mean, if he gets traded, he has no choice. He's got to suck it up for a year and a half. But once he's a free agent, is he going to want to come back? Yeah, a few things. First of all, you think about Tanaka and Price. Ridiculous. In the postseason. You just get to October and then, you know, flex your muscles. Also, I think now more than ever, if I were John Ryan Murphy or Gary Sanchez, one of those two is going to get traded. So one of those They're two gonna is going to be gone soon enough. Because yeah. Uh, they're going to bring in an outfielder of some kind or a DH or maybe a you know corner infielder as well. They're going to – one of those players that they get, either the starting pitcher or the outfielder or the infielder, is going to be a high-quality player. Right. 
and they're going to need to trade Gary Sanchez to get that. And you know probably. what? The, I know people will always say you trade prospects for players all the time, and you know you never know if something's going to become Larry Anderson for Jeff Bagwell again, or John Smoltz for Doyle Alexander. This may be the best chance the Yankees have to sell high on enough guys to get someone like that. I mean, whether it's Sanchez or Murphy, the Yankees have 83 catching prospects that people oh know gosh. about. And Cervelli. I mean, trade him because yeah. he's a major league ready catcher. Yeah. The Rays don't really have one. No. I mean, they have Ryan Hannigan who's doing okay, but, you yeah, know, he's whatever. He's treading water. Yeah. I mean, you know, they have Cervelli. They have Romine. They have Murphy. They have Sanchez. They have Luis Torrens further down in the system. Eduardo Deolio is having a good year in Charleston. I mean, they have guys down Peter the line. Peter O'Brien's technically a Peter catcher. Peter O'Brien is technically a catcher. But Peter O'Brien is a player without a position because he's technically a catcher, but he plays first. He's tried at third. He's been in the outfield, and he mashes, but he's hitting like 230. So there's his flaw is that he's, you know, he's going to be Rob Deere if he continues his career course now. Severino or DePaul or a guy like that, <laughs> I, a couple of the beat writers, Donnie Collins and Trenton, and I know Chad Jennings follows the philosophy too. It doesn't mean anything until you do it in double A. So if you can sell high on one of those guys that you never know – there's three guys right there that are can help the Rays now, soon, and in the future that you can sell high on that may or may not pan out. And if they do, I mean, if it's Ken Felt for Jay Buhner, it happens. But maybe this is now the time with all that depth in certain spots to sell high for a guy like Price. Then again, with the way the team is constructed now, is that going to be enough? Right. And two things I would say. First of all, the Yankees' farm system seems to be trending in the right direction. Right seems now. to be, Yes. Yes. Uh, the other thing I would say is that uh, Brian Cashman in years past has been very tentative to say, yeah, we're going to go out and make deals. Usually he's like, well, no, we're I, looking. I'm not seeing anything. We're looking, but nothing really is catching my eye. Don't be surprised if we don't do anything. Yeah. That has not been the rhetoric this year. Alfonso Soriano came out of nowhere that same thing. Right. He's like, well, we're looking upgrading, and boom, two days later, oh, here's Soriano for Corey Black, which, by the way, before you get into your next point, I mentioned the Bagwell and you know John Smoltz. Corey Black, I don't know if it was the game he the, – the final game, but he he won two games for the Daytona Cubs last year in the playoffs. I don't remember if he won the clincher that won them the FSL title, but he won that. Now he's an all-star at double-A. He was just kind of like a fringy, all right, we drafted him, we'll get him away prospect. I mean, he could be – again, it doesn't mean anything until it happens in double-A, but he's doing it in double-A. In one year, Soriano went from the savior of the offense, savior of the franchise, to DFA'd, and now this guy is a double A. Like, yeah. that could end up in 10 years being Ken Phelps for Jay Buhner or Jeff Bagwell for Larry Anderson. It's just kind of fun to note. Right. And I will say, Soriano kept them interesting for about a month last year. Yeah. Which. There's worth to that, but it's not significant. His 58 games were – he put up the same line as he did in 90 games with the Cubs. I mean, he went on a tear. Ichiro did the same thing when he came here in 2012. Is there another hitter right now that had 35 home runs and 115 RBIs that just was released last season? No. Because, I mean, he had a great year combined last year. Yeah, 34 homers and whatever it was, 100 and something RBIs, yeah. Um, anyway. Weird. I don't know what's going to happen. I I think Brian Cashman, just the way that he sounds, is going to do something big. But I don't know. Like, that's the thing. Will they give up the farm for a guy like David Price who, let's be honest, David Price grunts to throw 95 now. He does it, but he's max effort. When he first came up, it was He was throwing 98, 98. Like, yeah, like nothing. Like Trevor Bauer last night in the seventh, seventh inning, he was throwing 90, you know, 79 mile an hour breaking ball, and then boom, here's 96. Over 100 pitches in the in the seventh inning. Here it is, hit it. And we're just we keep learning. 
starting pitching. You know, if you you got to be good, but trading to become great is so it's so unattainable because guys keep getting injured. And you know, David Price, the velocity is down. He's still terrific, but it's a little more than a rental because he'd be under contract for 2015, a heavy one. But you know, again, who knows? Foreshadowing a little bit to what you mentioned, you did an article yesterday with just some bats to keep in mind, some guys that are not necessarily rentals per Mm -hmm. se. Foreshadowing too. You know, you look back to like 2005 when the Yankees had all those pitching woes and Aaron Small came out of nowhere and Sean Chacon became, you know, went from Colorado's closer to middling swingman to huge part of the Yankees rotation. There's a lot of possible smaller deals to be out there. I've talked about this with multiple people. If you look at the Reds organization right now, they just traded Jair Jurgens to Colorado, I believe, who was sitting there in AAA. They have Brett Marshall, who... Yankee fans may remember from his one appearance last year and his seeming prospect status. They have Chinming Wong in Louisville, who, you know, Yankees, they know what they're going to get out of him. They had him last year as insurance. And they have Mikey O'Brien, who was a Rule 5 draft pick from the Yankees organization, pitched in Tampa and Trenton last year. Those are three guys the Yankees know sitting in AAA for the Reds behind a rotation that has Cueto and Latos and Leak and Bailey and just... You know, down the line, Singrani's in AAA, even though he's hurt. Maybe a small deal's made there. Maybe maybe they're like, hey, we'll give you – maybe that's where you trade a guy like Perella, you know, who's not necessarily a prospect but having a good year. AAA could be major league ready, especially in the National League because he can play 93 positions. Mm-hmm. Maybe you trade a guy like that to the Reds for a Wong or a Marshall to try to get something out of them just to build depth. There's a lot of small deals out there too. It doesn't have to be price – or any of the big-name bats that may be available could be something smaller that, that makes a difference. Yeah, and I don't think – with the amount of big names that haven't produced this year for the Yankees, I don't think anyone's expecting him to go out and make something happen for, like, Cargo out in uh, Colorado right. or do something crazy offensively. I think there are a lot of guys that make sense – that they wouldn't need to give up anything huge. They could trade Perella for Carlos yep. Quentin, or they could get, I don't know, Martin Prado from the Diamondbacks. I said in the article, I was like, they just made the trade for the D-backs. Why doesn't Brian Cashman just hit the redial button? Go get Martin Prado, who can yep. play a little infield, a little outfield. He'd be perfect. And has a contract that's lengthy, but not terribly expensive. Right. Especially if he can hit like he did you know, in the last couple of years. And I wasn't terribly excited about this as a, as a possibility for the Yankees, but John, Mary, John Mayberry Jr. makes yeah. a lot of sense from Philadelphia. So, you know, I don't think they're going to break the bank for a bat. I think they would technically break the right. bank for a pitcher that they think has a lot of potential. And right. I don't know if David Price has that much potential, but no. he's an ace. How great would it be to have two aces? Seriously, it would be it would be it's pre, it's a pretty good hand in poker, so I'm sure it's great in baseball. <laughs> um, one thing you mentioned prospects too that I've seen a lot of, and I think it was Joel Sherman who wrote the article about in the Post that you know maybe calling up Ref Snyder to play the outfield because he was an outfielder in college. Just made a diving catch. Donnie Collins tweeted that yep. Ref Snyder's playing right today mm-hmm. and made a diving catch to save a double because yep. of course he did. Because <laughs> of course he did. And I think yeah, maybe they're doing that. Maybe he's playing right because he can. I don't know if that's a good idea. He's still trying to learn second base, and with all the shifting and the metrics and the defensive you know, schematics they have, it's, it's not easy. This is not Jabba Chamberlain where he's going to be a starter, but you're bringing him up because he can throw 95 for one inning and then throw a 78-mile-an-hour yacker that will knock you out of your shoes. That's a, bit of a, that's a bit of a 
dramatic change, I would think. I don't know if that's the best idea. Would he play there if absolutely needed? Sure. Kelly Johnson would too. But I don't know if bringing him up and saying we're going to put you in right field to platoon with Ichiro or whatever. I don't know if that's necessarily a good idea at this stage. I think I agree with you. I see your point. But I will also say playing him in right field not only may eventually help the Yankees, but you may be showcasing him. As a, as a trade piece. Hey, by the way, he could go play the outfield because yep. I bet there are scouts at these, at these games watching, oh, yeah. you know, in uh, in Scranton. So I, I don't know. I agree with you because he is still learning a new position, but Brian Roberts has started to play so much better. If Brian Roberts hadn't hadn't mm-hmm. gone on this tear, I think he'd, they, right. he'd be playing second but base. But Roberts, Roberts is a one-year deal guy. You know, there's not – you look at down the line at second base in the organization, there's not a lot there. Right, you're thinking future. I mean, you're looking at maybe the next best prospect in the system at second base is Ghost Kato, who's in low A, maybe. So, I mean, you know, he could be – he could – I don't want to say he's going to be the next Robinson Cano in terms of numbers or anything, but in terms of placement and where he, where he is, he could be that next guy that just kind of makes a leap and becomes the starting he second He reminds me a while. lot of, of a guy who's actually <clears> been rumored to potentially maybe come to the Yankees. Reminds me a lot of Daniel Murphy. Yeah, you know, kind of looking around for a position. They're very similar players too. Ref Snyder is a high average guy. He'll give you some power, but yep. he he will hit a lot for of average. doubles. A lot of doubles. Yep. Daniel Murphy's a lot like that. You know, he's still trying to find a position he's comfortable at. But you don't want to do that. I think you, the point you make is a great one because if if Murphy had been playing second base since he was eighteen, he'd probably be a little better at it than right. he is. So, it's, but he's it's played a first, second, line. third right. in the outfield. Exactly. Since he's been up, so. Um, you know, over the next three weeks, obviously, we'll have a lot more because the trade deadline is 22 days away as we speak. So over the next three you know, episodes, we'll have a lot more. Uh, before we go, because we're getting into long, I, I do want to talk about – you talk about hitting for power. I want to talk about the Home Run Derby. Do you still watch the Home Run Derby? Yes. Why? Um, because I feel as if I have to and because I – I enjoy seeing certain hitters hit home okay. runs. Does it take any – because all my answers to these are, are going to be obvious the way I'm asking these questions. Does it take away from you that there's guys in the home run derby that are like not home run hitters or even having good home run seasons? Like For instance, I, I know he's an exciting player. Does the fact that Yasiel Puig is in the home run derby and he has 12 home runs, does that take anything away from you? Like I know Cespedes won it last year too and he wasn't – Bombing them, so take all these things into consideration. But does it take away from you that there's guys out there that aren't in the home run derby that are mashing, and then Puig is in there? No, because I'm excited to see Puig. Okay, and I think because he, he's good for baseball. Right. Okay. I, I I understand that answer. I kind of figured you might say that. So I, you know, that's honest too. I'm honestly saying I because when you asked if I was going to watch it, I was thinking to myself this morning. I was like, I think I am going to watch it. Well, I'm definitely going to watch it because I'm live blogging it for YesNetwork.com. Right. But Yasiel Puig, I'm excited to see him. I'm very excited to see Giancarlo Stanton. And the National League in general, Troy mm-hmm. Tulowitzki is having an unreal season. I'm excited to yep. see him. We don't get to see him hit a lot. Um, I'm not excited about a lot of the AL guys. Uh, Brian Dozier. Yeah, yeah I get, I, he was going to be my next one. I was like, does, does Brian Dozier be I mean, I know he hits a lot of home runs, but... Eh. Yeah, not really I, doing I mean, much for you me. Know, you look at the guys that are... The National League has three of the top five in there. Uh, Stanton, Tulowitzki, and Frazier are all in the top five as of today with, in terms of home runs. Uh, Anthony Rizzo, Marlon Bird are the other two, and Justin Upton is tied with Frazier for fifth, 17 home runs. So if one of those three guys is the additional fifth member to be named to the team on Thursday, 
then you're looking at four of the top, we'll call it six because there's two guys tied for fifth, four of the top six guys in the National League are on the team, along with Puig, who, like you said, is good for baseball, is exciting. The American League team is, all right, Joey Bats is the captain. He's a masher. He's having a little bit of a down year in terms of home runs because he's been hurt and whatever. Cespedes is the reigning champ, so, you know, even if he had one home run, he would kind of give him a bye. Adam Jones and Dozier are great. They're hitting home runs. No Nelson Cruz as of now, who leads the world in home runs. No Jose Abreu, who's mashing and would be exciting and good for baseball. No V-Mart, who's having a monster season. I know he's got some injury issues. He doesn't want to play. And Carnacion being hurt takes him out of the running. He probably would have been there. No Trout. He doesn't want to do it. He's in the top ten there. No Miggy. He doesn't want to do it. And then you look down the list, it's like, all right, David Ortiz has 19 home runs. He's up there in the top. He would be fun to watch. I mean, you excited to get Big Poppy. Abreu Springer, has to do it. Springer. Springer would be I great. Mean, That's he, a good one. If he had come up on April 1st, he'd probably have 25 or 30. Springer's a good one. Why not? I mean, he's a young guy. He's a good story. Maybe I'm not smart for, doing, for asking this, but um, – there's a fifth one, and they add them at the last minute? They're added on Thursday after all the final vote voting and everything. I don't know if it necessarily has to be someone who's an all-star or what. I don't know exactly what the rules are. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be a fifth member added on Thursday for Monday's. Jose Abreu or Springer would be great for the AL. Either one. Abreu especially because it'd be, you know, then you could – you could have the, you know, there's three Cuban guys and the three Cuban defectors in the home run derby. It's like, hey, this is kind of a thing. Right. Um, and Abreu has 27 home runs. Springer, too, like I said. I mean, he's come up and mashed. Springer has that, you know. And it could be big for the Astros. Freak power. Freak power. It could be big for the Astros. I mean, they're kind of an also-ran franchise at this point. They're on the way up. But how huge would it be for them if George Springer wins the home run derby? Or Chris Carter even is, is up there in home runs. How how huge would it be for them if one of those two guys won the home run derby? I'm with you. Much like Cespedes last year for Oakland. I mean, that was huge. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm I understand your point. I I, I will watch it. Um, I probably would watch it, but I'm not like dying to see it. Right. And you will be live blogging it. We did that last year when the home run derby was at City Field. It was pretty fun. So you're you know I got to do it last year. You're doing it this year. No Yankees involved, but that doesn't take away from the fact that it's still a bunch of dudes hitting batting practice fastballs as deep as they can, and Chris Berman having the one day a year where his catchphrase is relevant. Right. Um, so, you know, it'll be fun to, fun to, fun to watch on YesNetwork.com. If you want to check it out on Monday night, Doug will be live blogging, and then, you know, the All-Star Game. Doing some game. videos uh, from, from the new green screen. Doing some videos from the new green screen that we got. And then Tuesday, we got Jeet's uh, last All-Star Game, so we'll see what happens there. And then next Wednesday or Thursday, we'll be back with our... You know, as we set up the second half edition of Yes Men, maybe LeBron will be somewhere by then, maybe he won't. Maybe Mel will be somewhere, maybe he won't. You'll just have to tune in next week to find out what happened and what we think of it. And really, that's why you come, right? Just to find out what we think? Yeah. So until uh, until the next time we meet, he's Doug. I'm Lou. Thanks for listening. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes if you haven't already, and we'll see you next time.